Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. This morning, we continue to discuss the built environment by focusing on a living building and what that means exactly. Our guests today are Tim Schroeder and Sally Obernolte from Newman Munson Architects. Tim is a principal and president of Newman Munson, and under his guidance, the firm has emerged as a leader in design and environmental stewardship, as a national leader in both client and employee experience, and as a community leader with expanding positive impact. Sally is an associate principal originally from Minnesota. She states that at Newman Munson, the partnerships are authentic and valued connections, and they provide the energy that fuels thoughtful and relevant solutions. Better partnerships equal better design. And I'm thrilled to have you both on this morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much. So to begin, we'd like to hear in your own words, just a little bit more about your story to this point, maybe how you got into design in the first place or whatever it is you want to share. So Tim, we'll let you start. Well, I, I grew up in Muscatine and we'll be talking about Muscatine a little later. And there I was involved in a lot of mechanical drafting growing up for various reasons and, and, and did well in those classes. A lot of people told me I should be an architect, but I didn't believe them and went to engineering school before figuring out I should be in architecture. But uh, in architecture, I always took an interest in um, sustainable design. And uh, as Kevin Nordmeyer mentioned, it wasn't really a thing at that point, but there were a few classes on that topic. Um, then after graduating, continue that interest and we were able to uh, do a project called the the Northridge Park Pavilion in Coralville, Iowa that had a lot of uh, sustainable attributes like a salvage timber structure and we were able to carry that forward and lead became the big thing and we were very fortunate to have been involved in some of Iowa's first lead projects um, but then there was a little bit of a lull uh, in the 2010s where lead wasn't such a big thing. But then it's with LEDs and, and those sorts of technologies coming to the forefront, it started uh, net zero energy started to be a possibility. And then going beyond that, there, you know, at that same time, I remember there was talk of this living building challenge, but that was this idea that was so far out there that, you know, nobody could even think of achieving that. Um, and then in 2019, we were fortunate enough to receive a call from Keith Porter at the Stanley Center 
And uh, we didn't know it at the time. We thought it might just be a small office remodel, but that project would turn into a full, fully certified living building. You know, we still got to get the certification, but we're on track. So that, that's kind of the arc for me from from then to now. So nice. very good. Thank you, Sally. Yeah, as you mentioned, I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, Mankato, Minnesota, and uh, I, I think I wanted to be an architect really since around eighth grade, um, probably before I really understood what architecture really was, <laughs> right? So it took going to school and, and getting into the practice to really, really understand the, the depths of it. Um, I went to North Dakota State University in Fargo, and after that, I actually moved back to Minnesota and uh, worked there for about seven years at a firm before moving here to Iowa and have been with Newman Munson ever since in 2008. So, you know, along the way, yeah, of course, uh, learned uh, about uh, sustainability practices in school and over the course of, 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 of work here in my career. Um, Always practicing um, as many of the principles and lead, of course, was was one of the the larger um, uh, programs to to really kind of take from that that everyone understood. Um, uh, it was kind of a common language, I guess, if you will, uh, and put those things into practice. But but to be honest, I hadn't worked on as many uh, projects that went for a lead certification and things. Um, I think one of the reasons why I ended up started really working on the Stanley Center project was um, they. They were literally a green client, not not maybe green in the way we're thinking about with sustainability here, but hadn't been in the process um, mm. of of an architecture of architecture and owning a building and going through all of this. And that's one of the areas that is maybe one of my stronger strengths at times is, is helping to walk through that process. And uh, we knew it certainly was going to have sustainable attributes. But as Tim said, um, we weren't sure where it was really going to take us but it's been a fantastic journey. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. So this is your opportunity to plug Newman Munson. So what, what would you say um, sets you apart from other architecture firms in Iowa, around the region, around the country, around the world? What do you pride yourselves on? Well, we, we say this conditionally because all the architects in Iowa come from the same school. So there's a lot of intermixing of ideas and philosophies. And um, so, you know, the degree to which we're unique is limited. But I would say, you know, we put a lot of effort into focusing on developing our empathy for the clients and for each other and treating each other with respect. So we have just a very strong team. Uh, we like to hang out beyond office hours and uh, and like to share ideas and, and just spend time together. And um, so that is one thing. And, you know, and we've been, Sally's been a big part of this in leading our client experience effort. And, and a lot of that is based on exercising our empathy muscles and making sure we're, we're thinking through the other person's eyes, thinking through and, you know, thinking with compassion and that sort of thing. So I would say that would set us apart. Other firms certainly have empathy and focus on that. And there's a lot of great firms 
in Iowa that um, do amazing things. So yeah, what do you think, Sally? Yeah, I would echo what you're saying, Tim. Um, I think, you know, intentionally putting the practice into empathy and the experience um, for our clients and for our own uh, our own staff, um, our own team here, um, and thinking about that and putting all that together as well as being strong designers and producing strong, strong work, being able to have the best of both worlds and do that, I think uh, can definitely be a strong differentiator. Yeah. Very good. So tell us about the Stanley Center project. One thing that, um, that I'm sure our listeners would love to hear is how we talked offline a little ahead of time that it was kind of a unique experience to be working with a client that has a lot of the values that come with a living building at the core of who they are. So tell us how what a living building is, what the Stanley Center does, and how these came together. Well, when when they first reached out to us, we didn't know where this was going. They're, they're in a, as I mentioned, I'm from Muscatine, and they're out working out of Muscatine, and um, they're working out of a, a fairly fairly humble office space in Muscatine. So when they first reached out, we weren't sure how how much of a project this would be, whether it would be uh, a small office remodel of their existing space. And as we studied options, that remained on the table as one of the, the ways they would approach it. But they had recently done a, a visioning session and determined that they wanted to stay in Muscatine, where they were founded 60 years ago. And that they did that even though, um, you know, they work around the world with organizations, the United Nations and so forth. But their mission is to mitigate climate change, avoid the use of nuclear weapons and, and prevent mass violence and atrocities. So... It's a very lofty mission, and they're they're working around the world to do this out of Muscatine. And to do that out of Muscatine, they need to be able to recruit global thinkers to Muscatine, Iowa, which is a smaller town. And it it, it is a big lift. So that you know, as we dove into this, we started uh, with a visioning uh, revisioning session to kick off the design process for their project. And, and the first step in doing that, we brought them back together with another company that was founded by uh, Mr. Stanley, uh, and that was H&I. And uh, we brought them back together at the, the new H&I headquarters that we had helped H&I design and, and brought those two organizations together and, and helped uh, the Stanley Center see you know, through various showrooms and whatnot that, you know, they could do something pretty dramatic in a, in a new design. But later that day, we talked about what their goals were and their priorities, and it, and it all circulated back to living their mission. And, and they have a very lofty mission. And Matt Krieger on our team went through these different um, third-party certification processes 
that buildings can go through like lead or well building and and one of those was the living building and and they right away latched on to the fact that you know that in being such a um a challenge um it's part of the word or the the name but it, it is a very challenging um certification to achieve but it also they felt represented their mission to a T and and so they latched onto that idea. Now at that point we didn't have any clue what it would cost. Mm -hmm. But um the uh and the first stage of the project was to really study where what site they could occupy. So that led to looking at oh I mean, it was supposed to be six sites across Mus Muscatine, but it ended up being more like 26. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the final two sites we had it narrowed down to, one was a, would have been a new build, and the other was where they ended up in the, the, the original Musser Library in Muscatine, which had been unoccupied for a few years. And... And they came to the realization that the most sustainable building is the one that you don't have to build. And it, it was a very well-built <laughs> building built to house books and hold heavy loads. So it was sturdy and met that point of the checklist, but it wasn't very pretty and it wasn't very, it was kind of dark and dingy. I would say, but um, so Sally and the team went to work and and re envisioning what it could be. So very good, Sally. Tell us about some of those elements that you had to incorporate for this high bar certification. Yeah, uh, well, there's you know with the living building challenge, they they have seven categories that they call petals. Um, so that might be a little different term for for most people, but but it it all falls into to seven different petals. Uh, those are place, water, energy, health and happiness, materials, equity, and beauty. Hmm. I think I got all seven. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and from there, they divide that into um, what they call imperatives. And there's 20 different imperatives. And uh, a handful of those live under each of the petals. Uh, so some petals might have four imperatives to achieve. Some might have two. Uh, uh, just depends on kind of how it divides out there. Um, but to go for a full certification, it means that you're you're trying to achieve everything. So all the imperatives, all the petals. Um uh, all the way through. So you're having to really kind of take a step back and 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 really understand everything that's going into it and what what the intense level of documentation that there's also going to be needed. Um, so you know, really, the, I think the whole thing really starts with getting um, having that important buy-in with the rest of the team, uh, not only us and the design team, um, but also with the owner and their whole team because it's going to impact them and um, how they utilize this uh, facility um once they do occupy you know and are literally living in this building um but it, and it also uh affects the uh you need the buy-in from the, con the contractor um and the construction team and everyone mm -hmm. as well in order to to really make this make this a success so 
I mean, there's a lot of different ways we could start talking about all the all the different uh, pedals, if you will. Um, but probably one of the most important things that we kicked off with uh, it was a biophilia workshop. Uh, I'm not sure if everyone's really as familiar with that, but uh, with, with biophilia, um, you know, this is really kind of falling uh, somewhat under the the beauty pedal. Um, I believe that is where the actual requirement lives. Um, but it is to go through a biophilia workshop for eight hours with with the team. Um, and we did it this over the course of two different days, so two four-hour sessions. And it's taking a, look, a deep dive look back at the history of this site, of this particular building, um, and even and even further back, like what, what's kind of the history of, of the area and who first kind of lived here. Um, and then, and then um, having a better understanding of, of each of the users of the space and the client themselves as to like what is important to them um, when it comes to biophilia or those things that connect them to nature, uh, in other words. And so it was um, quite a great exercise to go through with everyone. And, and I'd say that really kind of laid the foundation of, of getting a sense of understanding what this project could be about, um, getting everyone's buy-in into it. Um, and and laying out a framework as to certain elements that would be incorporated into into the project as well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and it, it, the amazing thing about a living building that is is that it they're all connected, right? All these petals are connected, and so I would assume all the discussions about the beauty is going to impact the health and happiness of those who work there, and for an organization to be that is embracing this and wanting to model this in order to stay in line with their own core values and mission has got to be exciting. Um, was there one particular pedal that was more challenging than another or more maybe embraced than another? I, what, you tell us, well, how was the process? Yeah, from a challenging aspect, um, with this being kind of an urban site downtown, um, not a lot of of actual green space around it or anything, um, we, we kind of already thought the water pedal might be a little bit more difficult to achieve. Um, and 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 we weren't wrong about that, but but the solutions um, you know came came to play on that relatively you know, well and, and, and easily. Um, but probably the, the pedal that gave us the, uh, the most amount of effort, um, time and effort that went into it is the materials pedal, hmm. to be honest, and all the requirements that come around the materials and what kind of, um, uh, uh, they call it the red list. So all the different materials that, that, uh, makeup of those materials that you cannot have on the project or or the sourcing of the materials too and and from where they can come from and how far away there's all sorts of requirements of how much needs to come within certain mile radiuses um, as you as you kind of radiate out from the site and so th just the amount of time that that effort takes it probably makes that one one of one of the more difficult ones hmm. yeah Anything to add, Tim, that you remember from? Well, yeah, with that particular pedal, you know, there are a lot of manufactured items like the heating and cooling equipment, for example, that are standardly built with those materials in them. So to find products that 
where you can avoid those red list materials is, is really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. One of the unique things about how we ended up um, solving the water puddle um, back to that one, because I mentioned we had this kind of tight site, right? And and you're you're trying to figure out what are we going to do with all of our sanitary water, for example, all of the sanitary um, needs coming that that are coming from our site. And um, we went through some different options of how can we treat the sanitary water on site, uh, which is what the requirement would be before it's you know just simply just released back to the. Uh, back to the grid, if you will. Um, and, you know, one of those was to do, one idea was to do like an evaporative, uh, evaporative greenhouse um, uh, to help, to help mitigate our, our sanitary um, quantities. And that was, that was one route that could potentially have gone. It was also kind of a an ex more expensive route as we were analyzing that. Um, but another route that, and the route we ended up going with was, was something called hand printing. And that's where we were able to um, take the design um, load of what we were predicting uh, for the amount of sanitary needs that we would have on site and offset that by going to an adjacent neighboring property and replacing all of their plumbing fixtures for them, hmm. um, making their sanitary um, uh, discharge lower, which essentially offset what, what we are uh, contributing. So th that ended up being a great solution for the Stanley Center um, because they really loved the idea of, of um, rather than looking all inward at themselves, also going out and and going to, to, to neighboring properties and, and, and their neighbors and helping to, them to benefit from, the, from these kinds of requirements as well. Um, this happens to be the Muscatine Center for Social Action is their adjacent property. Oh, so nice. they were they were super excited to be able to help benefit them, right? Yeah, right. It, go, it all goes back to their vision um, and mission, and influencing and educating others to create policy change. Really, mm -hmm. yeah. And they're doing it right there in the neighborhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you mentioned um, is that unlike some of the other certifications, you have to wait at least a year because you have to collect a lot of data to assure that you are actually meeting the standards that you have promised. And so I think it has just recently been occupied. I think you were sharing, but the, the it will be an ongoing um, partnership and you will, I'm sure, be talking about it You and sharing with us. We'll maybe get you back in a year and you can let us know how it went. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love to. Yeah, they just uh, took occupancy of the space here within the last few weeks um, and have been moving in their belongings and getting set up. Um, and as you mentioned, one of the differences of the Living Building Challenge from LEED or other, other programs um, is that you do have to go through a performance period to make sure um, the design is working the way it was intended. Um, so a, a lot of other programs don't have to go through that step. So we'll go through a documentation phase here now, um, documenting all these different requirements, uh, setting this up, uh, and, and also working the kinks really out of out of the project. You, you know, not out of all the different systems. You want to make sure they're operating uh, the way you want them to uh, before you start that performance period, and then that'll go on for a year, um, and then track the data from there and make sure that it really is 
uh, achieving what we're what we're hoping for it to achieve. Yeah. Well, the time went way too fast as I knew it would. And so I promise I'm going to get you back in a year and we'll check in and see how it's going. But mm-hmm. Sally, any final words of wisdom you want to share with our listeners today? And then we'll go to Tim. You know, I, I think everybody can can uh, uh, find some inspiration in, in the Stanley Center story uh, in one way, shape or form. Um, it, it doesn't even having take having to do an entire living building challenge, um, but just um, uh, you know taking certain aspects of it and starting to implement it into your daily life or into your uh, you know into your businesses uh, really does help to to make a difference and 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 advocate for a better world. Very good, Tim. Yeah, we we just hope that the living building certification process catches on to the degree that the lead certification process did in the early 2000s and um, that learning how to do this little by little, making it more and more affordable as we go, helps this become mainstream, helps helps that influence other industries like the heating and cooling industry, not mm-hmm. to use those red list products in there in what they manufacture and, and just uh, helps us get on a track to make a better world. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you both very much for joining us this morning and thank you for the, what you do every day to enhance the sustainable planet, sustainability of our planet. So thank you. Likewise, you're getting the word out there. Yeah. Yes. Cheers to you. And we'll see you, you in a year. Thank yes. you. Let's do it. Thank you. To our listeners, remember to check out the podcast and blog on yourgreenportal.com or Spotify or Apple Music. Tune in next week as we continue the discussions. Until then, stay curious, stay engaged, and thanks for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.